Good morning, everyone. Glad that we can meet here this morning and that the Lord is here with us. I was blessed with the Sunday school class, the Sunday school lesson, thinking of pits and the troubles and uh, crises that we can be in, whether it's our spiritual condition or just the circumstances of life. And we've all been there and experienced that. And what comes out, what surfaces when we're under pressure, when we're tested, when we're tempted? You know, often what comes out is an expression of who we really are. And the coming out may be an obvious expression, something that it's a, re- a response that people around us notice. Or it may just be bubbling up in our minds and we know it and we feel it, but we clench our teeth or we restrain ourselves and stay quiet and so it's kind of hidden to us, but we know it's there and God knows what's there and what it looks like. The psalmist said that God has searched us and known us. He is acquainted with all our ways, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So God knows what we're filled with. God recognizes what comes out, what directs our uh, choices and who rules our life, what is inside, what is coming out. It's uh, revealed. I have something here I want to show you that we had in our home when I was a little boy. And this is a, a juice-o-mat. That's what's written across the front here. A juice-o-mat. And uh, it was a special thing to us. It sat uh, on a counter over toward the garden. And once in a while, we would get it out. And uh, we would put an orange in here. And the way it worked... Uh, I was thinking of doing a demonstration, but the way it works, this is a cordless appliance also, I might mention. And they were built, made, manufactured back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and so on. You just crank, it's kind of noisy, it probably could use some lubrication. But you crank it up like this, and then we would occasionally have some fruit, like uh, we would take an orange. I should have gotten this out already. And just whack it in half around the equator. And take a half and lay it, set it up right here on top. This part up here is cut like this. And then uh, 
squeezing down, having a cup in here, and then squeezing this down, comes down against the orange. It's a little quieter, there's some orange in there, I tried it last night. And squeeze and press down till you get it all the way through. It doesn't go anymore. And then juice runs out into this cup. And you can drink it. So I put an orange there. And what came out wasn't diesel fuel. It wasn't motor oil. It wasn't maple syrup. It was orange juice because that's what was in there. And when the pressure was on, that's what came out. Orange juice. I tried it last night. It, it worked. You can get these things on eBay for 15 to $35 or so. I saw them priced. We're not talking about orange juice. What it really comes down to is what are we filled with? Who are we devoted to? Who or what rules our life? Is it self and all its manifestations? The natural selfish part of me that desires to please my flesh and my pride and to satisfy my will? Or as a Christian, is it Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit that I'm filled with, that is ruling my life, that has created in me a clean heart, a new heart, planted a new life there, and is molding a new character that is different from that selfish character, but a character that loves God more than anything and desires to honor and serve God and please Him and delights to serve others. The Christian life, some people's unbelievers look on and think it's just uh, doing certain things or not doing certain things. A Christian life is a lot more than not doing bad things. A Christian life is a lot more than doing good things. We would expect a Christian to do good things. But the Christian life flows from a heart that is filled with the Lord, with the Spirit and the life of Christ. And it's a result of an ongoing, a constant relationship with God, communion with Jesus Christ. And it determines, it gives guidance to the Christian, develops his character and how he thinks and how he responds to situations and what bubbles up in his mind when things don't work out well. In John 7, Jesus said, he spoke of uh, those who believe in him, 
as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And that comes from a heart that is filled with that water. A living testimony flowing from a life. Or Paul said it in another way in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 and 15. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. A rich fragrance of Christ within. A life that is filled with and a fragrance that is flowing from and touches and testifies to others, both believers and unbelievers. I'd like to look at several areas, several examples of tests, of pressures, of temptations that we face. And this isn't exhaustive, but I think it is enough to illustrate what we're talking about here this morning. One is uh, demands for our property, for what we own, whether it's our time or our money, our things. So Julie answers the phone. Hello. Hello, Julie, says the voice on the phone. Would you have time to come help me tomorrow? We're getting company this weekend. I need some help cleaning the house. Now, Julie has a little one. Julie hadn't seen her mom for a couple of weeks, and she had hoped to visit her tomorrow. And Orpha, the lady on the phone, does have her hands full with young twins, toddlers, but her house is like seven miles in the opposite direction from Julie's mom. It's just unhandy. It's a test. How will she answer? Will she say it doesn't suit? Will she think somebody else can surely help her? Or will she say, sure, Orpha, I can do that. What time would you like to start? Now, a selfish heart would respond possessively and grasp tighter at the time that might be sacrificed here and be slow, reluctant to let go and maybe upset a little at this demand and then complain about it and feeling sorry for myself where the Spirit-filled person with love for God and love for others, even Orpha and her twins, would open her hands generously and volunteer their time and willingly share. Now, in saying that, we can't say yes to everything. It would be irresponsible to say yes to everything. And there may be other factors related to Orpha's situation that would lead even a generous Julie to decline this opportunity. 
But the question is, what surfaces, what bubbles up in her mind and guides her decision? What's the automatic kind of subconscious tendency, the first impulse, and what, what would it reveal? Julie's time and wishes first, or God and Orpha's needs? Now, I can identify with that that issue. A second one is sinful, sensual temptations, allurements, sexual temptations to sin in mind and body. And we know we're acquainted enough with the world around us. We know there are many sources, many sources of temptations. So Blake has struggled with purity in the past and um, he wants to do the right thing. Blake does. And he just bought a car, a used car. And he bought it as is. And so he was cleaning it up. And he found under the front seat a magazine. It was a pornography magazine. So what will Blake do? He can leave it there thinking he'll look through it later when no one is around and no chance of somebody seeing him. Or he can immediately hurl it into the trash bag outside of the car. Now a person ruled by selfish passions would leave it till later. Or at least leave it to decide later what he's going to do. Maybe thinking in the back of his mind, I'll just kind of look at it quickly. He knows he shouldn't look at it at all. And then dispose of it. But for a spirit-filled man walking with the Lord in communion with Christ, there'd be no question, no delay, no magazine, gone into the trash and with maybe a vengeance. Or the temptation, such temptations come many other ways also the internet, a bookstore. In any case, the question is, what surfaces? And what is the tendency? What are the thoughts? What is decided? And what does it reveal? A third area is trampled rights. When we are treated unfairly, unjustly, taken advantage of, and there are assaults on our reputation. We're criticized, we're dishonored, disregarded, disrespected. Mabel had worked hard cleaning the church, especially the floor. And the last couple benches were kind of a mess today. And it seemed some unsupervised children had been playing with their leftover service snacks and got scattered around on the floor. 
And someone had tracked into the basement entrance and left a mess. And there were, and a toilet had run over. And it was taking her a good bit longer than usual to clean, it seemed. And it was a big job for one person. And she had actually, uh, and she wasn't as young as she used to be. This is not Ferna good, by just to be clear. Uh, she had mentioned to the deacon that she felt this job is big enough that somebody could help, that two people could do this better and it would be more fair, but nothing had happened. And then the following Sunday, she was standing outside the cloakroom door there in the foyer and waiting for her husband, and she heard some conversation inside, and she just happened to pick up a little bit of it. And somebody said, you know, the church just isn't as clean as it used to be when Clara was doing it. And we can kind of know how that would feel. And how will Mabel respond? We can sympathize with her. How will she respond? If she is a self-centered person, there might be anger, there might be resentment. Uh, she might be defensive and argue and be bitter. But if she is like uh, sisters I know, she might struggle with that a little bit, but she would be meek, she would be gentle, she would be humble and forgiving. A spirit-filled person. A different, there'd be a different response. Or if our will is crossed and we don't get our ways, another can be a problem area. Gordon had plans to go to the mountains with some friends, some youth friends. It would be great fun, plus he enjoyed nature. And But Dad said, no, son. I'm sorry, we, uh, we need help. I need help on the farm. There's hay to get up and rain is coming. And Gordon had been looking forward to this hike a lot. So how will Gordon respond? If he's a self-centered person and filled with himself, will he disobey? Oh, surely he wouldn't. Would he argue with his dad? He might argue with his dad. He might sulk and gripe and complain and even help, but grudgingly. But a spirit-filled young man would say, sure, Dad, it might be hard. It, he might have to swallow. He might have to pray for a little grace. We all know what that's like, too. But he would submit to Dad's request, and he would cheerfully submit, and he would cheerfully help with the hay, as unto the Lord, and thankful, and be thankful that he has a good dad. There's so many ways that our wills can be crossed, that our preferences don't work out. Others see things differently. It happens at home. It happens in the church. It happens at work. Just 
all of life here and there. It just happens. So how do we respond? Then there are threats to our comfort and security. Now, our lives generally uh, are pretty easy compared to many places in the world. In some places, Christians are really suffering and they're persecuted and they're in prison. They're even killed for their faith. Maybe some of you read Ken Miller's um, piece that he wrote last this past week. He says that on September 13, 1567, four men surrendered their lives for the testimony of Christ and for our conscience. So one of them wrote to his wife just before he died. That's what one of them wrote to his wife. Three other men were executed at the same time, Cornelius, Matthias, and Hans. I'll not try their last names. And the four men were brought to the great marketplace in front of the city hall in Antwerp. The men were given the medium severity execution for their day. Beheading was the most merciful. Being burned alive at the stake was the most severe. And these men were each tied to a post inside a hut likely made of straw and wood. They were first strangled, and then the executioner set fire on the hut, and they would die. Well, they were, they were already dead. Their bodies would be burned. But three of these men had written to their wives in the days leading up to their execution. Cornelius the shoemaker was one of the four, and here's a couple of things that he said in his letter. And this was 450 years ago, this past Wednesday. Thus, my dear wife, follow Christ and take up your cross with patience and joy and follow him all the days of your life. For he had to suffer so much for our sakes to save us. Therefore, let us suffer for his sake, since it is our hour. Hence, let us be satisfied in him and take our cross upon us with joyfulness and patience and wait with firm confidence for the promises which he has made us. Herewith I bid you goodbye, my dear lamb, till in eternity. And there's more there. But a self-centered person in that situation would think about self-preservation desperately. What maneuver what could I do to save myself? And Jesus said in Matthew 13 in, the, in, the, in his parable about the seed and the soils, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. But the spirit-filled man is one who loves not his life unto death, like 
John wrote in Revelation. We wonder sometimes, how would we respond if we were facing persecution? Have you thought that? Read in the martyr's mirror or heard about something happening in another country? And wonder, what would, how would I respond if I was facing torture and martyrdom? Well, one clue, I can't answer that 100%, but I think one clue is this. How do we respond to the tests of character, to the pressure situations that reveal what we are, that show us something about who we are within, what we really are. When we face demands on our property and we face temptation, sensual sin, when our rights are trampled and not, and we're not treated fairly, when our will is crossed, when our comfort and security uh, is threatened, what comes out? What comes to the surface? Irritation and anger and impatience, indulging in lusts and sinful passions, defensiveness, stubbornness, complaining. If we aren't coming out well in our everyday tests under the pressures and cares of just everyday life, can we assume that God's, will, God's grace will kick in in some major way when we're facing a real trial like persecution and martyrdom? Jesus said in Mark 13, verse 11, But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. Speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And I, I thought of this uh, verse in relation to this message. And is that encouragement for somebody who rarely has devotions, doesn't spend much time in prayer, daydreams in church? And there's little spiritual, real quality spiritual input. I wonder. There was a missionary once visiting persecuted churches in other countries. He had spent time in Russia interviewing uh, and Eastern Europe interviewing people there that had suffered persecution. And later he was in China and doing the same thing. And many of them there had been in prison and suffered for their faith. The Chinese expected imprisonment. It wasn't if, but when. <clears throat> and the church had high regard for those who suffered for their faith. And often they would ordain people as leaders uh, who had served prison time, almost like they saw it as a, a qualification for leadership because they saw how many leaders had grown in their time there. This missionary heard quite a few powerful testimonies and then there were a couple of brothers that he was interviewing. They had 
been in prison for, I think, three years, and they were also ordained. They've been ordained since they were out. But their testimonies seemed flat, and they lacked depth, and they didn't seem to even have a good understanding of the Scriptures. And he soon ended the interview. And then the Chinese asked him to tell him what he, what he had heard in Russia. So he was telling them about the Christians there and the persecution. He was telling about one who, when he was in prison, he was in prison for 17 years, and how he wrote out verses, all the scripture that he could remember, and how he spent time in prayer and singing and testifying to other uh, prisoners and uh, even leading numbers of them to the Lord. And while he was listening, or while he was speaking, he, uh, the missionary noticed these two brothers with the weak testimonies toward the back. They looked troubled, and they stood up and started coming to the front. They were weeping. And when they got to the front, he gave them uh, opportunity to speak, and they said to the people there, they said, listen to this man. You can only grow in persecution what you go into persecution with. You made us leaders because we'd been in prison. But when we were arrested, we were only new Christians. And we knew little of the Bible and knew very few of the songs. And we hadn't really even learned how to pray. In prison, we didn't share our faith with anyone. We hid it. We failed Jesus. They shared it as a confession. You can only grow in persecution what you go into persecution with. <clears throat> now that statement maybe could be qualified or amended a little bit, but there's a lot of truth there. It doesn't seem reasonable to expect that <clears throat> When a strong test, a strong temptation comes that will suddenly be giants of faith. If we've been otherwise carelessly slouching through our Christian life and often yielding to our more selfish nature and not walking with the Lord carefully. In Titus 3, verses 3 to 7. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And when we ourselves were living there, you, you can imagine what kind of things were coming out, what kind of things were being expressed. And what kind of thoughts were bubbling up in their minds? But in verse 4, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being that having been justified by His grace, 
we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a contrast that is to the heart ruled by self and defiled by sin. The spirit-directed life, the spirit-directed person is finished with the old life, the sinful things, and is experiencing cleansing, renewal, and spiritual growth. But I know this, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. And he gives a long list of very selfish characteristics. But Timothy was not to be influenced by that, but rather you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And in the second chapter, Paul said, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things, yeah, I'll stop there. And in the uh, first chapter, he says, Therefore, I remind you, stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my, of my hands. Now, we're not ordained, but we're called of God, every one of us, to be his servant and uh, to live for him. And we are also called to stir up the gift. One translation says rekindle. Another says fan into flame, doing the things that nurture and edify and grow us in Christ. I was struck by this in Second uh, Timothy, just recently reading through there again. In verse 12, it has that wonderful promise, the confidence of Paul. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day that God is able to keep what we have committed to him. And then, um, just in the next verse, this instruction to us, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard of me, the good thing which was committed to you, in verse 14. Keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So God is able to keep what we have and and uh, to safeguard that which we commit to him. But we're instructed to hold fast, to keep, to guard with the Spirit's help those things that have been committed to us in the next verse. So what are we full of? What surfaces when we're under pressure, when we're tempted? What comes out? What comes up in our minds? What are we filled with? What are we devoted to? The Christian life is more than not doing bad things. The Christian life is more than doing good things. The Christian life flows from a heart that is filled with the spirit and life of Christ. 
The Christian life is to be a fragrance of Christ, uh, revealing, manifesting the, the fruit of the Spirit, the beatitude, the, beati- the life of the beatitudes, all of those characteristics. And so what we're filled with doesn't only affect us, it affects others. And it can bless others. It can disappoint others. It can cause others to blaspheme. He's a Christian, but we can be a blessing. I've been blessed by you all, by many of you. We can bless, be a blessing to our brothers and sisters. We can be a blessing to our families and to our friends and contacts that don't know God. So may God help us in our in our Christian lives to uh, do those things that honor and please Him, that He would be, that we would be filled with His Spirit and His goodness and be effective in His service.